0: Hey guys, welcome to uh, the first episode of season two of Honest Conversations with Alex Cubis, um, brought to you by Nova, um, Nova Entertainment. I am sitting with...
1: Gia Carides.
0: Gia Carides, Australian actress, best known for her portrayals of Liz Holt in Strictly Ballroom and Susie Connor in Brilliant Lies, for which she was nominated for at the AFI Awards. Cousin Nikki in My Big Fat Greek Wedding and Its Sequel, Robin Swallows in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, <laughs> and most re- recently for her role as Melissa in Big Little Lies um, on HBO and as Hannah in the revival of Twin Peaks. Um, my listeners will know that I start off every conversation with the same four questions um I probably just I just highlighted your successes so you may, might be feeling quite good about yourself. But if you could answer these questions as honestly as possible, mm-hmm. I think I feel I need and I want. So finish off those phrases. So right now I think right now I feel, right now I need and right now I want.
1: Wow. I think the world is in a really morally corrupt place. Um with our leaders and the amount of war that's still happening. Um, the way we're treating our environment, that's what I think. The next one is I feel. I feel. I feel strangely excited for this uh, kind of second chapter in my life because I feel like I'm starting uh, from a new place in many ways as a woman and as an artist Mm -hmm. and even as a mother. My daughter is now a teenager, so it's a whole different style of mothering is required. So I feel excited about this new New part of my life. Great. Third one. I need. I need. I need a really fantastic, juicy job that is something that can <clears throat> help me expand as an artist um, and be the type of job that, that uses everything I can bring now as an actress in the uh, second chapter. In, yeah, in the second you'll. chapter as an actress of, of the age that I am now. So, I, I yeah, I need something really challenging and fantastic and I also need to expand and do more directing. I've been directing a little bit, cool. some theatre, and um, I really want to direct film and television and theatre. So I need to expand now as an artist. And,
0: and that would um, be the same as your want or is your want different right now? Last question.
1: My want. I want... I want to work on becoming more disciplined so that I can start to write and start to direct and start to expand as an artist. Great. So I want to be more disciplined.
0: Very cool. Okay. Well, uh, prior to me hitting the record button, uh, guys, G and I were having a very interesting conversation in which you were being really open about your life, your life story. And when we met only a couple of weeks ago at an awards dinner, you uh, demonstrated the same quality. So you had like a very... It wasn't even you being vulnerable or self-pitying in any way. It was just being open and honest. Um, Do you attribute that quality as something you were born with or is it something your parents sort of brought out in you? And then as a consequence, do you think that that's part of the reason why you're successful? You just sort of, you are who you are, everything's on the table.
1: Um, My parents are both, were both. I mean, my dad has passed away. My mum's still alive and well. Um... My parents are both very open, passionate people. Uh, my mother, though British, is very passionate. And my dad was a fiery Greek. Greek. Mm. Classic, like highs and lows, like bad temper, um, but extremely charismatic and uh, loved to chat, loved to talk. Um, love to tell stories, love to live life. They both passionately love to travel and they dragged us as kids around the world. When I was eight years old, we went to Europe and America for five months and had this incredible trip. My parents were amazing travellers and they loved to see the world and they took us as a family around Europe and America.
0: Were you a privileged background? Did you? We were, fairly... my
1: mum and dad were both, you know, extreme working class beginnings. Okay. In fact, my dad came from a small Greek village. I would even say his beginnings were that of a greek peasant. Okay, wow. My mum, working class london mm-hmm. and they both met in australia um and they were very much working class. They 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 definitely grew to middle class. So by the time I was a teenager we were living a pretty middle class life. Okay. Um <clears throat> so somewhat privileged, yes, mm. but not n- nothing nothing ostentatious. More than, yeah, nothing ostentatious. Um during my marriage, I certainly lived in a, in a much more ostentatious way at times. Um, but, uh, yeah.
0: Were there points when, um, you were living that lifestyle or you've had moments, you know, being in Hollywood and, and, you know, experiencing that, did it, um, you sort of found that you lost your way a little bit and, or that you, um, maybe lost a bit of self awareness and that, that can money can change people and money can change artists. So yeah, I guess my I, question is that did you ever hit a point where you realise, oh wait, I've got to keep that in check.
1: Personally I don't think I ever lost my way okay. in that in that world. Um, I I certainly, you know, jumped on the odd private jet here and there and went places and yeah. and certainly mixed with people that lived in all sorts of different homes. Yeah. Um I never lost my way. I don't think i I never forgot my beginnings. I always felt really grateful uh to be to be enjoying the things that I was lucky enough to enjoy yeah um and I think you can sort of take the kid out of the neighborhood they were brought up in, but you can never take that out of the neighborhood kid. out of the kid, yeah, you yeah. can't, and you are who you are and 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 I'm just gonna always be i think that working class girl or you know middle-class Australian girl, mm. um, at heart, no matter where I find myself. Um, yeah.
0: If you were going to tell something, knowing everything that you've experienced, um, as an actor primarily, um, what would you tell the when, – when did you start acting? 17, I, 18? No,
1: no, I was 13.
0: Okay, all right. So what 12, would you – And then when did you get your first professional job? Thirteen. Wow. Okay. Yeah, my first
1: film was Love Letters from Taralba Road, starring Brian Brown, and Chris McQuaid. It was directed and written by Stephen Wallace. He had found a bunch of love letters uh, that were from a man to a woman, and and maybe from her back to him. And he he basically found these real life love letters, and he created the film around that. It was Brian Brown's first film. Wow. Mine too. I was thirteen.
0: Well, his first feature as an actor. Yeah,
1: yeah it was his first. Yeah. wow. It was actually a long short and, or a short feature. It's okay. about one hour long Okay. and it's an excellent film. It won, it won an award the year that it was in the Australian Sydney Film Festival.
0: And then so in the five years after that, or maybe even decade after that, did you have any periods of not working at all in a drought where you were like, wait, is acting even for me?
1: Uh, no. Um, I, was child, oh, okay. I was still a school child. I was still a school child. From 12 it. to 17 okay. and I worked pretty regularly wow. from 12 to 17. And at 17, I finished high school and landed my first lead role in a feature film which was uh, Midnight Spares. Um, which was pretty a, good timing. A car racing kind of action film. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't a terribly good film, but it was a brilliantly cast Film like the actors that I got to work with were some of Australia's most incredible Mm. comedic and dramatic actors. Um, I I worked alongside Bruce Spence and uh, James Laurie actually was my leading man and he later became an agent, but he's an excellent actor. Wow. I worked with David Argue, who's one of Australia's finest comedic actors. Um, Tess Malice played my mum. I worked with Tony Barry, John Clayton. It was just an incredible – Bruce Spence, I think I mentioned him yeah. in Mad Max. Just an incredible bunch of actors. Um, and then my next film at 18 was Farlap, the great Australian horse film, yeah. which was excellent. And then uh, Ray Lawrence's first film, Bliss, uh, where I played Barry Otto's daughter. Mm-hmm. And, and then it goes on from there and then, you know, it's Strictly Ballroom soon after run. that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I – I had, an, I had an amazing run. Oh, that
0: was still between Strictly Ballroom. You said you were 20... twenty-eight,
1: six. I think, okay. when I shot Ballroom.
0: So a couple of years in between. So was there a period there in your early 20s? And I'm asking this question on behalf of a lot of actors in maybe in their early 20s where they're experiencing success or experiencing droughts or experiencing yeah. downs. No,
1: my early 20s were, were a lot of success. It was right. just two or three movies a year wow. and a couple of plays. Um, TV things. So there's not
0: much advice you can give to the there struggling actor listening. There really wasn't there. a droughty spot in my <laughs> younger years.
1: It, it got a little quieter in my 30s. Okay. Um, and I was also, you know, focusing on getting pregnant and having a child. So yeah, it worked my down. focus was a little elsewhere. But for sure in my 30s it got quieter because there's way more competition then because everybody's up and out and doing established well. Established. Established.
0: Yeah. Um, and you're in America by this point.
1: Yeah. I do remember though in my mid-20s kind of looking around and going, wow, who are all these other chicks at the auditions? Because I think in my teen years it was and easier, very early twenties, it was just there were less people, so yeah. I got almost everything I went for. Right. And by the time I'm twenty five, six and I'm auditioning for Strictly Ballroom, there's a lot more competition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt really lucky to book that job. And I almost didn't go in for it. Why not? Because uh, initially uh, my agent said, oh, no, you don't have a dancer's body. Um, <laughs> they, they're just looking for dancers, you know, people that look like dancers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, oh, really? And it was actually Pat Thompson who played the mother in Strictly Ballroom, mm-hmm. the late, great Pat Thompson who died sadly I mean, recently. after the film no after got oh, okay. released. and But she won Best Supporting Actress for okay. her incredible portrayal of Shirley Hastings, the mother. Um, but it was Pat who said, you've got to go in for this character. And so I kind of harassed my agency at the time and said, come on, guys, I really want to be seen for this. I don't care if casting think I don't look like a dancer. I really want to go in for this. So they made a couple of calls and came back and said, Oh, yeah, Basil Erman does want to see you. So I don't know if. Initially, casting didn't think I was right and then someone talked to Baz. But whatever, Baz knew who I was. He knew me as an actor. Because you would already
0: been established by this point.
1: Yeah, and I knew him a little bit socially. In fact, strangely, a girlfriend of mine had brought him to my 17th birthday and I really didn't (laughs) know him. Before even he was... Yeah, before any of us were anything. It might have been my 16th birthday. Okay. But my friend who was an actress, Gabby Mason at the time, brought him to my birthday party and it turns out later... It was her brother, uh, Steve Mason, who shot Strictly Borum, who's was okay. the DP. Anyway, Gabrielle Mason had brought Baz to my 16th or 17th birthday party, so I vaguely knew him socially. And uh, at this point, I don't think, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's the only, I vaguely knew him. But I went in and auditioned for him and our first meeting was just a meeting where we talked and he talked about the ballroom dance world and, how fascinated he was with it and how incredibly odd it was and competitive and intense and, you know, this whole underworld of mm. intensely uh, competitive dancers. So uh, I loved our meeting and I loved talking to him. and You know, it was really interesting. And then he said, okay, well, now you've got to kind of come in and act for us and dance for us. So a few days later, after learning pieces um scenes and sides, I went in and I did a two-part audition. One was the dancing part where you had to keep up as well as you could with um, the the dance uh, captain, John, mm. uh, the choreographer. And, and then the other part, of course, was one of the scenes where Liz has a fit and screams and shouts and carries on about how he's not dancing the right steps. So, you know, I had a great time in the acting scene and I did as well as I could in the dance scene. And I had a really good dance background of classical ballet. So I didn't have no dance background. But what I didn't have was any knowledge of ballroom dancing. I had none at all. So, you know, we, I don't know what we did that day, whether we were doing salsa tango, foxtrot, I don't know, a wolf. Have like, you had to
0: sort of fake your way in a job since? Or maybe in the process of, of pursuit of getting a job? Has there been any other time where you've had to do
1: Anything unusual to get yeah. a job? Have you ever said no, you actually, like... really nothing else. There was only, I didn't, you know, for, for ballroom, I then set off on a, once I got cast, yeah. um, they put us in seven week training of dance where we learnt ballroom like six hours a day, five days a week for seven weeks and we got pretty good. Mm-hmm. And they doubled me where they needed to for some of the tricks, but basically it was me like 95% of the time doing that dancing. And it was an amazing experience and I loved it and I love learning anything new for a role. And the only other time I had to really learn something for a role was um, a film I did called Letters from a Killer, which was a kind of B-grade thriller with Patrick Swayze. Nice. Which I really, in the US? In the US. Yeah. And I loved doing that movie because I had to gallop. I had to gallop bareback with Patrick Swayze. I was going to ask
0: if you've ever done a movie with horse. Yeah. So
1: it was it was that. It was galloping bareback horse riding and it was incredible.
0: What did you notice about, what What was your opinion, what had made Patrick Swayze a star?
1: What made him a star?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, what made him a Patrick, good actor? Was yeah, he, in your Pat- opinion,
0: a good actor, like all those sorts of things?
1: Patrick was a good actor and I got to act in some really serious scenes with him because um, our, our movie was not... a. There was nothing light about it. Although when I think of Dirty Dancing, there was actually nothing light about that either. That had really heavy dramatic moments in it. Um, but in our film, he plays a guy on death row who's wrongly accused of killing his wife. And while he's in prison on death row, he forms relationships with four women who all fall in love with him and I played one of them. Okay. It's really super fun to watch and... And Patrick has since passed away, and he was a beautiful human being and he brought a lot of really good things to the world. You asked about what made him a star. Yeah. Patrick was an old school movie star, probably like Tom Cruise. They love their fans, they genuinely love their fans, and they will stop and talk to any fan pretty much that they possibly can that wants to talk to them. And when we shot, we were on location and the streets would be lined with fans just lined with hundreds of women that wanted to meet Patrick and men too but like you know he was just an old school movie star that women just loved he was super charming he was a he's an unusual guy too he was a cowboy and a ballerina like yeah. he he's a serious man. male dal- yeah. Uh, dancer yeah and uh even in our film there's a scene where we go line dancing in a cowboy bar and he, you know, I got to dance with him and and he, you know, between takes he would get me to run and jump into his arms a la Dirty Dancing and spin me around like Jennifer Gray's character. Nice. You know, he loved showing off and he loved to dance and he loved to be a crowd pleaser. So I think that's what made him a star. He just had a great screen presence and... He was gorgeous. Do you think that
0: you can earn that or work your way to that or train that? Or is it something that...
1: I think you're born with that star quality. I really do. I I don't think you can learn that. And, you know, we're all born with whatever look we have. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he had a pretty astounding... Not that he was particularly my type. I remember when I got cast, I was like, eh, I've never had a thing for the Sways, you know, but I've got to kiss him in this film. And by the end of the film, I had a little tiny crush on the Swayze, okay. for sure. Right, Like he got me by the end, but he wasn't really my type going in, but he's a lot of people's type. Yeah. You know? He had definitely an amazing charisma.
0: You, um, Before we started recording, we were talking about your journey to the US, so it's pretty common that actors come here specifically for uh just to either for a job, they book it from their country or they come over here to audition. Yeah. Um so do you want to just give your narrative for how yeah, you ended up sure. here? Sure.
1: Well these days I think there's such a path has been driven so strongly by actors like
0: you or by Nicole actors like me and people
1: be way before me. Yeah. Um people like my ex husband and I would say uh, and that's Anthony Lapalier I'm referring to, um he came out A long time ago, in the late '80s, I guess, in his early 20s, and people before him, like you know, Mel Gibson and and Deborah Lee Furness, who's Hugh Jackman's wife, she came out too in the '80s, and yeah, before she did theater with Ed Harris, she did a play with Ed Harris in New York City, and yeah, she you know she did a few things out here back in the day, Um, so there are lots of you know really brilliant actors that paved the way. I actually didn't kind of come out like Naomi Watts or Nicole for for work in my very you know late teens or early 20s. I actually came out because uh, back then I was actually 28 when I met my ex-husband and fell in love and he was living in New York City. So I kind of came out for personal reasons and it coincided with the opening of Strictly Ballroom in the US. Okay. So the timing was incredibly good. Pretty good, good timing. And, Similar and having- to
0: Isla Fish's. I don't think she came out here for love, but she came over here for a premiere premiere. Scooby Doo, right. and then she never planned to be here, but that's how she got her agents while she was here, and yeah. then it just ended and up that way. Yeah,
1: when when she met Sasha, I don't really know, but yeah, same thing in a way. Like having the having the personal life and the career, I guess,
0: were just keeps you grounded. It in was the country. well, it was
1: both working to keep me here. Yeah, um, it certainly helped having ballroom. Obviously, it helped get good agents at the time, and. And got me in all the rooms for all the auditions and all the general meetings and all that stuff that you start off with. And I remember it was it was pretty much the same year that Russell was doing all that. So Russell Crowe and I would run into each other literally at
0: Oh, every, like in his first year or so? Yeah, it was kind wow. of his first
1: year over here because I remember he came to the premiere of Strictly Ballroom and we he and I met for coffee and donuts the next morning and he was like, Oh, let's uh let's uh cross reference our our meeting meetings. lists and, yeah. and make sure we're, all, we're both going in for as much as we possibly can be. Wow! And he was really, I remember. Super generous. He was generous, but he was also very go getterish yeah. I really remember how nose to the grindstone he was and how seriously he was taking it.
0: Um, so both the craft and the business side of oh, it. Oh, everything, yeah. yeah. He was
1: very much a mover and a shaker and really making sure he was getting in every door he could possibly get in and passionately so. And... And he was very career-driven, for sure, yeah. And, uh, and yeah. How did you guys know
0: each other, just from oh, we knew industry? each other.
1: Yeah, we knew each other from Sydney. Just We were just two Sydney actors of the same age, roughly, and yep. we were just in Naturally, the same, yeah. similar circles. Yeah. I, I knew him from Sydney. We'd actually both worked on Police Rescue, the TV show. Okay. We didn't have scenes together, but he played some character, and I played Steve Bastoni's wife. So I remember hanging out with him at, yeah, rap parties for Police Rescue. He worked with my sister Zoe. Yeah. Uh, they played love interests in um, uh, Blood Brothers, a beautiful musical.
0: Everyone Knows Each Other is white.
1: Dramatic musical they did together yeah. at the Seymour Centre. Cool. With actually with Chrissy Amphlett from the Divinals. She, she was in that as well with them. Wow. And she since passed away too. And she was a magnificent woman and an amazing artist. Singer and I actually became friends with her in her later years in New York City. We became pals and would hang out in New York, Chrissy Amplett and I, yeah. Are
0: there any stories you remember of those early days of auditions or meetings that were a bit of a culture shock or that you just remember as being a defining experience for you becoming an actor in the US?
1: Um, I remember just having great auditions and meetings in the US in the beginning. They were they, you know, I, there was just a, a sense of casting directors. Just you felt like they would just really wanted to solve the problem that you may be the the person that walked in the door that could be the perfect person for the role. And like, allow
0: them to finish their job. Yeah, yeah
1: I really felt uh, welcomed, and and I felt I felt nervous in a kind of excited, good way. I I didn't speak much because I didn't want to use my Australian accent. So I was never chatty. I would just walk in, do just what? do the work in the accent and get out of there as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, so I wasn't chatting around with my Aussie accent, although there was always a bit of a conversation about the fact that I was Australian. And at that point, I guess they were talking about how much they liked Strictly Ballroom. So that was great. Yeah. So it was good to be in a film that was well-liked and was being well-accepted. So that kind of, yeah, it felt good. It felt good.
0: And have um, you noticed audition experiences in the past decade, probably since you know the industry obviously goes through a lot of changes and it's undergone, I think, like a bit of a, like a significant evolution, especially even in the past five years. Have you noticed any experiences that are markedly different or defining recently that are, haven't been as welcoming or have just been challenging or made you realize that the change has happened? No, I haven't it's all been really. It's pretty consistent.
1: Yeah, I haven't really noticed it. Maybe I've gotten more used to being here because it's now a long time, like 20 years. Um, yeah, no, I haven't noticed anything really out of the ordinary.
0: What about your craft and the way that that's evolved over time? Um, Do you, Is it something that you work on on a regular basis? To
1: You know, I'm, just I'm a little bit lazy with taking classes and, and keeping my hand in. I, I certainly don't. I mean, I certainly feel like I'm the same actor. I still approach everything from a relatively similar way. Mm -hmm. Um, I try and get inside the emotional heart of the character. I try and bring anything I can of myself to any character and I try and find the similarities between myself and the character. If there aren't any and and if there's a really different moral compass or something really unusual that I've got to tap into, then I just research like crazy until I feel like it's second nature.
0: Okay.
1: Um, you know, I haven't had to play, I I recently, you and I recently saw that incredible film Hounds of Love, Mm. um, and that extraordinary, all of those extraordinary Mm. performances and that beautiful direction that Ben Young, um, gave and- Emma Booth's work and Stephen Curry's work. Everyone
0: listening should watch it. It's a pretty incredible. Film. Yeah, an incredible
1: yeah. acting piece. I've never been challenged to play that kind of a character where it's you know, Character-y. a murderer. Yeah, well, I'm somebody that's just doing something that I would, would never relate never to. Never be able to relate to. Um, I haven't had that challenge.
0: Um, Is it something that you would like?
1: Oh God, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we all want to be. Wildly challenging, yeah. It, otherwise, it gets boring. A huge character,
0: yeah. That's the that real character. Have you ever been on a Have so you ever been on a job me. where you get have been significant, like just really, really bored and being like never. acting is boring? No, I've always been never,
1: ever, ever been bored. Okay, I I've been on jobs where we're underused mm-hmm. and it's frustrating, and you feel like you you know you're staring at the stunning buffet table and you can only eat crumbs. <laughs> because your role's too small, I've certainly been there um, recently with Beautiful Big Little Lies. Our roles were tiny and the project was extraordinary and if I could have had anything more to do, um, it would have been dreamy. But I still kept my eyes fixed on Jean-Marc Vallée. I watched his every move because I want to direct. I I was privileged you can still enough.
0: Still soak up and make something of any every opportunity. Oh,
1: I will make something of any opportunity. Yeah. I'm never one to waste. I will always make.
0: How did make that? use. How did that role come up? Was that because you knew Nicole? No, or you that know, role. You know Nicole? Or no, I'm through? actually
1: I'm actually much closer friends with Bruna Papandrea, one of the producers. Okay. Um, I'm definitely friends with Nicole, but I'm much much closer to Bruna. But it was actually neither of them that that the role. I looked the role. How did it come up? I'm sure Bruna asked to see me.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I'm sure my agents pitched me and I went in and I literally just auditioned. Right. After I got the job, Bruna called me excitedly and said, I just want you to know I had nothing to do with you getting this and I laughed and and she said, no, no, they, you know, casting called you in. I was excited and I didn't tell anybody that you were my good friend until they'd all cast you. She said because five producers had to agree on everybody. Okay. So even our tiny roles had to be signed off by five producers. She said, and once everybody signed off and said yes and HBO approved you, then she excitedly said, that's my friend. She my friend. <laughs> so I thought that was really sweet and lovely of her to tell me that story. And, and I think
0: a testament to the notion that knowing people doesn't necessarily no, yeah, it really—it's really, really just doesn't. about the work. It really doesn't.
1: I mean, you know, if, audition, if I,
0: the audition process doesn't really change. That's always the fundamental yeah, way of getting a gig. Absolutely. I yeah. mean,
1: every role I've gotten, I've gotten through auditioning and through my work if i was honestly yeah. gifted a role by everybody incredibly famous that i know i'd have a very different career because i know all sorts of people that could have handed me work it or never you, that,
0: that, that, that's contrary though to your story about how you got brilliant lies the australian um, film in the 90s. Well, brilliant
1: lies yeah it was an amazing story my sister and i were presenting an award mm-hmm. so we were up on stage being sisters presenting something to like I don't even know best editor or costume design. At the AFI
0: awards, it was the AFI
1: awards. Maybe Um, I can't remember. It might have been the People's Choice Awards in Melbourne. I know it was in Melbourne, and I know that the director of Brilliant Lies was sitting there, and he saw us up on stage, and he thought, "Oh my god, I need sisters in this film I'm casting um, about two sisters," and that's how we got the roles. We literally
0: both got. Is that called. the only time that that's happened to you? Yes, you sort of... it's the
1: only time we got. We both got called the next day by our agents and offered the film. We didn't. Wow. We didn't go an audition.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we to didn't. Be... Neither
1: us auditioned for that. We okay. both were offered the roles.
0: But for the most part, or and in... I was very
1: grateful for that. Yeah. And very touched by that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty and, awesome. And you know, we had
1: an incredible it. time. And after she and I were cast, at that point, I'd been dating my ex-husband for some time and they thought it was a great idea that he would play the sexually harassing boss. Right. Before they went to Anthony for that role, I had Steve Bisley in my head as the perfect actor for that role. Okay. Um, I had worked with him prior on Don's Party on stage, and he's an incredible actor, and I've actually since worked with him um, on East of Everything in Byron Bay, a show that was that starred Richard Roxburgh and Susie Porter, but Steve Bisley played my co-worker in that. Uh, anyway, back to that. I, I sort of thought Steve Bisley was perfect as to play the sexually harassing boss of Susie, my character, but the director and, and producer and everybody really thought Anthony would be great. And I thought, wow, yeah, I didn't actually see him as that young, but what a good idea. And Anthony was extraordinary in the role and played the character brilliantly. And we got to have, you know, incredible scenes where we're arguing and fighting and carrying on and
0: in that, in loathing that, each when other. When you already have a relationship with your co-star, did that help mm. and you had to do less, or less prep or less acting?
1: Look, it sort of helps and hinders when, when you're playing anything with the person that you're in a relationship with. Yeah. Something is, is helped because you've got a second, you've got a kind of uh, second, uh, a sort of shorthand and you can get to things very quickly and, and you know, you can feel immediately very comfortable with each other. Uh, to work and and safe to with your physical body, there are scenes where he, you know, physically uh, is kind of abusing me in that film. So no, that you know, true. I felt safe in his hands because he was really my my lover and my friend and my my at, at that time my fiance. Um, and then there's a hindrance because you have a relationship with somebody and you're going to work. And because there is that shorthand, you sometimes uh, don't approach each other with the same, same distant respect yeah. and sensitivity yeah. and you can get to kind of... Take liberties. Yeah, take liberties. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember there were certainly times on that film where we had a fight after work and, and got separate hotel rooms and, and kind of and needed a bit of space from each other. And there were other times where you know, we were bonded and having a ball and having a laugh and really close on set because that's what, who we were at the time and also my sister Zoe playing my sister. So it was this incredible kind of familial feel on that set and the director just absolutely adored us all and particularly me and uh, I was his, you know, Susie and I was his...
0: Leading lady. Leading lady and, yeah. and
1: he, was, he was very, very attentive and... um it was a really fantastic experience. And uh, yeah. And what have you. And then, and then I got nominated for Best Actress yeah. in a lead role for that. So I've, I've got a soft spot, obviously, for Brilliant Lies Forever because of that. Mm. Of course, it was the one year that Judy Davis had to come back <laughs> and do an incredible performance in some damn film. And of course, she won. Right. But if you're going to lose to anyone, let it be, Judy, let it be Davis, Judy Davis. Or in the case of Strictly Ballroom, when I was nominated for be, Best Supporting um, Actress. I- I was beaten out by the late, great Pat Thompson, who I just love her so much. She played my mother in Farlap, the horse film, and she also played my mother in a short film I did when I was 17, where I play a pregnant teenager, and so I had a really.
0: You post that about that on Instagram. Yeah, I the did. Other day. I
1: did recently. because... What triggered that post? The tr- that post was triggered because uh, a brilliant actor named David Franklin, an Australian actor, was in that film playing the young man who got me pregnant. Yeah, and after that film, he and I then, in our mid twenties, played a British couple who were engaged and kind of on the rocks with their relationship because of jealousy issues and then even later in our 40s we played a married couple american in this country in a film with sybil shepherd so david and i are dear friends he's a great australian actor who's lived in the u.s for the last 15 years and we've played a couple three times so it's just kind of separately
0: separate casting Separate
1: casting nothing du- two different anything. countries two different countries so we played an australian teenage couple pregnant and did a there... british couple engaged and an american couple marriage on the rocks and why
0: did you pay that up? post that the other day
1: i posted that because david's heading back to australia for a little while to do some work back there okay so i'm gonna miss him so i posted that just as a little fond memory tribute to him nice and then i posted uh then i posted a black and white picture of us in the in the british in the film where we played the british where did
0: you get the still from for the short film because that was from
1: i actually froze it I froze. So, so you
0: had a copy of the film with you. Or you, you can have no, you now? can
1: watch it online. Oh, it's no way. it's part of the uh, Australian Film and Television School's oh, cool. history right. because it was somebody's. It was graduate Jill's graduate film. Jill Grove was the director. Okay, so it was her graduate film, and it's called "Am I Okay Now?" Okay, and it's about a pregnant girl, and Pat Thompson plays my mom, and you know it's an adorable film. Like I have such a soft spot, you know, for anything I did that young. It's just so funny yeah, to defining. see yourself on screen. As a baby, you know, baby-faced. It's just funny.
0: What have you uh, directed recently or what are you working on? The
1: only thing I've directed is a, a play reading. Okay. And it was for the Australian Theatre Company who are based here in LA. Yeah. And it was um, a brand-new play written by Josh Sakariasen. Sakariasen. I'm not entirely sure on the pronunciation, but he's a really good writer and actor. And uh, <clears throat> I got to cast it and direct moved well. A staged reading um which was a really fantastic experience and other than that many many years ago I had a couple of little cracks at directing theater in Australia I helped a friend of mine Alan Lovell put together one of his one man one man shows um, I helped uh, Lex Marinus was directing a play at Belvoir Street at one point downstairs that my sister was in and um I got to work with the actors just for a week because Lex was busy uh plotting uh, the lights and sound for a much bigger production that he was doing at the Seymour Centre. He was kind of directing two pieces at once. Mm-hmm. So I went in and worked with the actors for a week to help, like I guess as somewhat of an assistant director.
0: As we've been talking, I get the sense because you obviously want to pay tribute to all the people that you've worked yeah. with, but I, I get the sense that you really, particularly that given that this is recorded, you want to make sure that those people are known. So you, I'm getting the sense that you've got a good, generous spirit do you think that that's something that you attribute to your success or your creative life just being a generous or being giving
1: i don't know i mean i just i do feel generous about people that i've worked with and i do feel grateful grateful, and i do feel and i'm definitely a very sentimental person so there's yeah if if i can mention anybody who i think is extraordinary especially some people who are less noted and and known um like, for example, David Franklin, who's a working actor, who's worked his entire life, and he's a brilliant actor. Um, he's not as well-known as I think he should be. Okay. Um, so, yeah. But, I so, mean, it could
0: be that one role that dips him over into the mainstream oh, like that we talked about, right? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, he's had great roles. He, he did a film years ago with Deborah Lee Freness called, um, oh, damn, Shame. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant film, a really great early Australian uh, 80s film that she's amazing into. Um yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I I love being generous. It's just who I am. It's just how I want to be. And I yeah, I, I do believe that what you give you you get you receive. Yep. back to you. I yep. think so.
0: If you were to give any advice to twenty year old Gia, what would it be? Or any focus. Yeah.
1: I would actually literally twenty year old Gia, I'd say focus a little more on your work. Okay. Than your relationships. Okay. Because I I did get a little lost in my love relationships. Not lost, but I certainly...
0: Consumed.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would get a little more consumed in that than the plotting and the scheming of the next move career-wise. My career, luckily, at that point, was flying along pretty well. Yeah. So it's not that it needed so much attention at that point. Okay. Um, It certainly may have needed more attention... in my early 30s, and I was probably more focused on my relationship at
0: that point. So, what about what, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old Gia?
1: Focus more on your work at that point. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. And five years ago? To yourself um, five years ago? Five
1: years ago. Advice to five years ago. Oh, my God. Um, for me, I can't have a showreel that has strictly ballroom on it. Nobody... No. You just can't do that. You can't do a retrospective cute reel that's got your big early films. I have to literally go, okay, what have I done the last four years? Mm-hmm. And I have to recut it, damn it. And I've got things that I've done in the last four or five years. I've got lovely things. But have I bothered to track them down and cut a fresh, beautiful reel? No. So the last reel I made was probably eight, nine years ago.
0: Is that going to be helpful for you at this stage in your career, though, to have a fresh reel?
1: Yes, I think it is. I think every every stage they want to see. I mean, why doing? wouldn't I want to have a beautiful reel that's got my tiny moments from Big, Big little, little Lies, Lies yeah. and my gorgeous one little moment from David Lynch's Twin Peaks? Yeah. You know, and there's a couple of other really fun things that I've done recently. Yeah, for in Australia
0: people. as well for chinkways. and. Oh yeah. yeah! God, I didn't even
1: think of that. But you yeah, know? I'd love to put that on a reel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's kind of half a dozen really nice things, and you've only got four minutes. So yeah, but it's a pain in the in the neck cool. thinking of putting it together.
0: <laughs> um, to close off our conversation, I think I feel I need a one again. To see how Just to see how it's changed. So answer those questions as honestly as you can again. And you don't need to overthink it. It can be, I need water or I need to take the dog out.
1: But it's different to what we started with? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah. It will be. because Why our, is it our, different? Because our feelings change on a moment-to-moment basis. Really? Yeah. Acting 101. Uh, Even if it's like, I think this conversation was stupid. I don't <laughs> know. I, I think I shouldn't that. have invited this Strange Australian man. Sure.
1: <laughs> um, I think. Um, I think my dog has been remarkably well behaved. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel very happy that we've had this interview. Um, I need. I need a fantastic, healthy lunch at some point. Great, and. Um, I want to work with you someday. Nice. How about that? Yeah,
0: let's do it. Um, short and straight and simple. Okay. Thank you so much, Gia, for this lovely conversation, guys. Hope you learned a lot, uh, as did I. And yeah, until next time.
1: Thank you.